Kyle, I'm okay. I, again, I think, not not for the last episode, but, you know, two before that when there was the really good one, I was like, we gotta just cut all the preamble here and, and get right to the, uh, the, the core of this episode, and uh, this time I'm gonna say, let's do anything else, let's just, how you, tell me about your feelings, tell me about, <laughs> like, your ambitions... No, no. I am totally with you. Uh, we can – this is an – I mean, I have a feeling – we have episodes where we talk a lot about the episode, and we have episodes where we talk about basically anything else, and I know which one of those this is going to be. I just want to start by saying the text you sent me at uh, 11.57 a.m. today, which was, heads up, I hate the episode. Well, and also I have to reveal that was like six or seven minutes into the episode. <laughs> This one hit me in a real bad way, and so since since I am starting to get you mean, feelings, I bet I know the the exact moment that you realized what the premise of the entire episode was going to be. Was that the moment that you texted me? Almost certainly, yeah. Like I think so. Okay, just to not get ahead of ourselves. Uh, hi, this is the Big Bang Theory. Theory. I'm Nick, and I am Kyle. And we keep watching the show, and you know, like I I have talked about it like a dozen times at least now. How about people? Uh, you know, comment about how, why do you watch it if you don't like it? And, you know, normally I can be like, haha, you silly goose. You don't know what it's like to have a meaningless life. But today I'm like, are they trying to help? Are they real? Are they like reaching out to be like, you guys don't have to do this with your lives because I, so to, to get back to, to what we were just talking about, I, Kyle, I, I didn't immediately hate it. It wasn't right out the gate. But I, there was a moment where I thought I was having a stroke. Like, I really... And so, just to get the quick summary here um, from the uh, the the official Big Bang fan wiki. Uh, Sheldon goes to Texas to help his sister, uh, who is having a baby. Uh, with Sheldon gone, the gang imagines their lives without Sheldon. Uh, but that... It, it, oh, so, yeah... It does start that way where Sheldon's like, oh, no, my sister's pregnant. And there was a funny joke there where I think Amy's like, oh, my God, does she have some sort of illness? Oh, no. And he's like, indeed, she does. She's, I don't know, you know, pregnant, infected with baby, whatever it was. The magic is gone. The rest of the episode took care of that. Because, and that seems like a totally, like, whatever episode premise. And it's like, you know, Sheldon's going to be gone. Is that going to have something to do with how Amy sees the relationship and what they do to move forward because he's kind of going home for this big family thing and never really talked about it with her or even considered her. And then your, your title sequence comes up. And I don't know, Kyle, do you still watch that? Have you started skipping that yet? I have started skipping that. Was there something in the title sequence that was different? No, not at all. I just remember oh, okay. when we would watch it together, You, I think really just to... Make my blood boil. We would watch a whole thing, and you would often sing along. Maybe you actually yeah. did enjoy it. I think you did. I did. It was it was like part of our ritual. It was it was me. I was doing a thing to sort of hype you up because I knew it was harder for your brain to keep attention on an episode. So I was just like, let me just anchor him in this moment with a little bit of my uh, mellifluous tone. Well, it worked. It, it it was a specific point to bring me back to. Uh, so no, nothing happened. I mean, as far as I'm aware, nothing happened during the credits, but so you have the intro, intro credits happen. And then all of a sudden, uh, everyone is like, Oh man, great time to have a Christmas party without Sheldon. Am I right? And I'm like, what, wait, what? When, you know, and I guess we had a Thanksgiving episode recently. So like Christmas was coming, 
But unless I did, I miss anything. Did anything about the intro of the episode suggest it was Christmas time, or that he'd no. be missing any Christmas stuff? No, like, no, I, no. It was very much. It was like I'm going out of town, and then in the next instant, and nobody at that point was like, "Oh no, you're gonna miss our normal Christmas party" or anything like that. It was just in the next scene, all of a sudden, there's a bunch of Christmas decorations, and everybody's like, "Ho, ho, ho! Merry Christmas!" I genuinely thought it was an error. I thought I was <laughs> losing my mind. I was like, did I hit a button? Did I skip between episodes? Or is like there's something wrong with Max that they accidentally spliced an intro in the body of an episode together? I, I, yeah. It, so I'm in this vulnerable state from this, this shock. And then, uh, yeah, about the time I text you, Kyle, is I don't remember who first brings it up. Because there was, I think, pretty early on into this episode, I was like, this is one I'm blocking out. This is one... I don't want to create hard memories of. And that's because uh, in in addition to the, the Christmas theme, this becomes an uh, It's a... Am I forgetting It's a Wonderful Life? Is that the actual title of the movie? Or I, I, you know, it's funny. I, I can't remember because I definitely remember at one point some douchebag being like, it's actually a wonderful life. But no, no, it's it's the It's is part of it. So yes, yeah, It's a yeah. Wonderful Life is the name of the movie. And so, um, except, it is such a, it's like a, the premise is itself ephemeral, because, yes, it's true, Sheldon is not here for this Christmas, but instead of having, like, an alternate reality episode, where, because they start wondering, like, oh, man, what's it like to have uh, Sheldon not here? And, of course, the immediate reaction is, like, oh, we can actually enjoy ourselves, waka, 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 and it's like, hey, you know... Sheldon actually serves a much more important role in all of our lives. As a matter of fact, none of us would know each other without Sheldon. So yes. how Oh god. And so you think it's going to be like a like a I mean, cards on the table. Friends did this once. I don't remember in what season, but well into its run, they did a, you know, what if Rachel had never uh met the gang episode. Um and then it and then and basically they did it entirely. I think it was even a two-parter. Uh, they did an entire, like, two episodes just starting from that premise. And they even famous they changed the intro sequence so that all... Because, like, one of the jokes similar to in this episode is that Monica would still be fat. And so uh, in the intro, she's fat. Um, and so that's literally the whole joke is that these characters, like, where what does their life look like in this alternate universe where they're all... They're, they all have taken slightly different paths. But it follows, like, one change to the premise of each character throughout the course of an entire episode and they're all interlinked whereas this is basically it's a clip show it's a sketch yeah. show it's no, different going it's around robot the horn. chicken or family guy oh uh yeah it's yeah so Kyle everything you just described you know i hate to be too prescriptive here is the way that you're supposed to do that kind of episode <laughs> that's that's the formula and in this yeah they just go from um each of the the friends who is not Sheldon, you know, the people actually hanging around at the apartment, and they just kind of imagine like, oh wow, what would this interaction have been like without Sheldon? And they're not even that like either Sheldon centric or interesting, you know. Like Leonard is like, oh, I tried to t- shout at Penny and I'd still suck at it. Oh ha 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 ha. And then you know, like you just said, Kyle, yeah, they keep actively revising it. 
And so then Penny's like, oh, you peed yourself. And she's like, oh, no, you my version, you peed yourself. And, yeah, they just keep uh, updating the, the, the scene. And that they each go around and do that once. And Sheldon occasionally uh, is still seen over um, video through Amy's tablet. And he's just mostly describing the horrors of childbirth and seeing his, like, sister's yeah, gaping was, bloody this vagina. Was another one of those just, like... I hate that I can spot these things so easily now, but this is just another transparently, like, someone's schedule didn't work with the rest of the cast episodes, because so much of this episode is just like, uh, and also I think they're also, we ran out of money mid-season episode, because it's like, this entire, this entire episode is just bits and bobs set in like, the only major locations that they ever set anything, so no new locations, no new characters or uh, or um, or guest characters or uh, extras, like not even at the cafeteria. Like they literally don't. There's literally not a single scene in this episode uh, <laughs> where there's like anyone in any of the backgrounds. Basically, except they got Stuart hanging around for no. Except good they reason. got Stuart hanging around, and then yeah, Sheldon is literally even in the flash away. Except for like one of them, he's basically not in any of the. Uh, any of the bits where they're imagining their lives. No. And he only appears in, like, doing the Zoom call thing where it's very obvious, like, you could film them talking to an iPad and then just patch his stuff in later. So 100% pure speculation here, but I believe that uh, the making of this episode is largely attributed to a conversation that went something like this. Come on, Jim. We know it's Christmas, but everybody works Christmas. You know what the town is like. You know what the city is like. Do you think Urkel worked Christmas? <laughs> Do you think Urkel didn't get to see his family at Christmas, Mark? I'm going home. You can find a way to put me on that episode if you like, but I'm going home. I'm fucking my boyfriend, and you can all suck my dick from long distance if you like. And that translates to him, oh, hey, I'm at my sister's birth. Or, you know, birthing, what, pregnancy, what do you call it uh, in relation to the lady giving birth? <laughs> uh, yeah, just, the, yeah. Because the child, they are being birthed. They are, they are the, the, the product of the birthing. The woman gives birth. Ah, this is complicated. Anyway. But, so, so they're fat suits. And here's the thing. I'm not, like, bringing up the fat suits. It's like a, oh, fat suits. We've got to move on. I'm I'm not part of that fight yet, at least. But that whole premise, like I said, it's so non-Sheldon-centric. You know, the, the, the connection here is like, wow, what if, like, instead of Sheldon um, and Leonard living together, it was Raj and Leonard. Oh, and Raj is a good cook, and Leonard would be a lonely sap, and so all he'd do is fatten him up with his treats. And then Leonard's like, wait, why aren't you fat either? And then again, they revise, and now it's just Raj and Leonard hanging out in fat suits, being like, ha ha, we're lonely, but at least we have delicious treats. And then, like, the stinger at the end of the episode is, like, them in their fat suits with regular skinny Wallowitz at the Cheesecake Factory, and Leonard still trying to ask Penny out. And it's, yeah, like, I didn't think of it when I was watching it in terms of it being like a series of sketches, but that feels apt. It's just like disconnected scenes that all like, don't even, they don't even have like a joke of a premise. Like it's like the fat suit thing. It's not really much of a joke, I guess, but they love it. 
They just need to, like, show you as much as you can. Like, oh, this is what it would be like if they were chubby pals. But they're not really, like, making any use of it. I don't know. Yeah, maybe they didn't even... I mean, it, it even... It does not feel like... The other sketch quality aspect of it is it it doesn't feel like a lot of work even relative to other episodes of the show went into writing this one, right? Like you totally see this seems like an episode where every bit of it could have been written in like by like a bunch of writers like on caffeine or cocaine at like, well, no, it's not weird enough for cocaine. Just a bunch of writers like, you know, just tired at three o'clock in the morning being like, we just have to have one more episode and then we can all go home for fucking Hanukkah or Christmas or whatever. I think you're right. This is an everything in the bucket episode. <laughs> Just Yeah. And they don't it's like we don't we don't have the budget for any other locations or anything, so let's just yeah, mm-hmm. it's very much it is it's funny because it it is a I think it counts as a classic example of a bottle episode in that sense. Uh but you know, often in most show in many shows, bottle episodes are like some of the best episodes of the season because they force the writer like the writers really have to up their game because they can't rely on any like gimmick or novelty. And this one it was like, no. No. It's so sad. Uh, well it's not that sad, but uh you want you want some irony? I literally came on the show today or not came on but i was gearing up this whole week i was gearing up to pitch you a radical new direction for the big bang theory theory as a podcast and that direction (laughs) this just took the spark out of you (laughs) this that it was going to be you know radical positivity it was like the fans keep telling us what they want which is for us to stop shitting on the show they keep tuning in every week to hear us say things about it's like we're getting very clear feedback the world is obviously a terrible place and could use a little more time uh, novelty in it. I was reading a bunch of, you know, the reviews about or a bunch of the analysis of Ryan Gosling in the Barbie movie and how like the best gift he gave that movie was he sacrificed his entire sense of self and <laughs> self-worth to like just becoming this this mindless himbo for the sake of like America. And I was like, if Ryan Gosling can take that kind of bullet, then maybe we can just become like enthusiastic like just regular what a heel what a story that would be what a courageous it's not a heel turn it's the other way around a turn heel what a what a villains to heroes story that would be of us you know or or you know the you know the ultimate 1984 tragedy of it all but either way it would just be like a fascinating just change in the general direction if people were like you know the big bang theory theory that didn't used to be those guys just talking about how much they love sheldon and leonard every week they used to really yeah. like have they're, a lot of real converts it was yeah, it was a dramatic it's, change it's like you can sort of watch the entire story of the show slowly winning them over and the moment that they finally go you know i guess we just like this show now it's a part of the culture i see yeah. why it was so popular we're fairly converted and then they do this shit to us and they ruin everything yeah, God I feel, damn it. I feel like, you know, it, there was a moment where I was going to say it's like you were trying to deliver the message to me that I shouldn't assassinate the Duke that's going to start the next world war. And I just didn't get it in time, you know? Yeah. But it's not even that because, yeah, before we even started watching the episode and before I was even close to finished with it. I texted you, I hate this. Yeah. And that was like... a chance to make the argument. That's like, I saw someone running up the hill with an envelope and said, not today. (laughs) That was just... Well, I'm not saying we don't try toxic... (laughs) Toxic positivity? Yeah, I couldn't even... 
I couldn't even be positive about the positivity. But yeah, uh, well, here's here's one. You know, I will. I'm gonna say mildly, but nonetheless, positive thing I'll say about the episode is that they try to put the thinnest emotional weight in this, and it ultimately is due to um, Amy being like, "Well, I don't know if Sheldon loves me." And it's like, well, yeah, that's a you know pretty obvious concern. Uh, and then I think it's Leonard like, "Is hey, wait, you need to see this. This is Sheldon's screensaver. It's a picture of you." Among other photos, but hey, you're included. Um, and then she is, you know, because her bar is so low, overwhelmingly uh, enthused by by how uh, thoughtful this is and how obviously she has uh, drilled her way into the, the very core of Sheldon's heart. And Sheldon is like, yeah, no, I, I guess... You know, Amy's like, would you, did you miss me while you were gone? He's like, I guess it would have been nice to have you there, yeah. And that's as much, like, character development or emotion as they put into it. That is it. Also, Penny has a weird scratchy voice the whole time. wonder if they made her work when she was sick or if she had just partied the night before. And she's like, yeah, I'll do this garbage episode today. Or Yeah, it's just the Molly. Yeah, yeah. But you know what, like... I think often when I don't really love an episode or I don't feel like I have a lot to say about it, I like feel pressure to really pick it apart. Because unless you have anything else you want to say about this one, like please go nuts. Just I really, I was just like, Ugh. okay, two, go go two, for it. The first off is they didn't talk about the most obvious, uh, which is divergence point, which is I'm pretty sure they established like there was a whole episode where Penny was like, "Why do you still live with Sheldon?" And they established that there was a time Leonard tried to do an experiment, miscalculated, and if Sheldon hadn't saved his life, he would have blown himself up and died. And they just, like, never talk about that, I guess. Which is fine, because why would they remember? But I remembered, because I thought that was going to be at least one of the jokes, is that, you know, there's a good chance that you would be dead. There's also a pretty fucked up joke about how Wallowitz is basically Norman Bates in Psycho. Uh, that yeah. was weird, especially especially when this is like the Christmas episode, which, by the way, the only thing that makes it the Christmas episode are Penny puts on a, a cute little Santa hat and there is a splashed on like Happy Holidays graphic at, over the, the screen near the end. But sorry, please continue with the, yeah, the horrifying Wallowitz revelation. That was it. I mean, it's just weird that that was in there. Oh, um, but that's that's not it. Kyle. It is. Because I think it was, he's still living at home with his mom. And the scene is, like, mom yelling at him, uh, him yelling back, classic Wallowitz scene. And then, it, you know, because they're, they're actually playing out the whole scene in the fantasy. And then it cuts back to the apartment, and, I don't know, Bernadette or someone is like, that what was different about that. And he's like, oh, oh, wait, you didn't let me get to the best part. And then, yeah, for the first time ever, we're seeing actual mom on screen, except that it's a shot from the back. It's a big, fluffy black wig. And then, yeah, it turns around, uh, or Wallowitz turns the chair around to reveal. Uh, Yeah, it's just a skeleton in that he at some point has murdered his mother, maybe has also still been hallucinating her voice this entire time. And um, again, like Bernadette or someone is like, did she die or did you kill her? 
And while it just gives us like, I'm a stinker little thing. And so even as, uh, you know, you, you, talking about that, I'm like, God, that is messed up. But then I, I, I take a moment to reflect afterwards and I'm like, at least we learned something about Wallowitz, you know, <laughs> like that's. <laughs> yeah. And then the only other, I don't know that it was a good bit, but it was, it reminded me of like, I think I've said this before, but there's a random Amy fantasizes about if it were just uh, Penny and Sheldon in the same building and uh, Penny has some mm. uh, deep crush on Sheldon and tries to seduce him in the laundry room. And that was – I'm not sure that was particularly interesting except it it did reaffirm my thinking, which is that's right. This would have been a more – like – Completely unjustifiable, but as long as they were going to make this script like the weirdos and the hot girl, it's like, why couldn't the weirdest of the weirdos be dating the hot girl? That would be a more interesting show. Well, and that was also, I wonder what the ads were for like this episode. I had that exact, I was like, because there's a moment where she like, she fully takes her, her top off and is standing there only in her bra and your abs, I had the exact same thought. I was like, this is what they teased all the dads with on the previews for this episode to get them to watch this episode yeah uh, and like they probably you, didn't reveal that it was a dream sequence so it you was sat definitely... through the thanksgiving episode with your kids we get it wasn't very horny but you did the right thing do you want to know what this time we got a little something for daddy yes. we got a little something for daddy yeah. ah yeah because it is i mean it uh, we the show obviously is constantly making sexual jokes about uh, Penny's character, but you don't actually just see her like half naked very often, uh, at least not anymore. So it, it it definitely feels like a weird ratings gambit. And one of those things where if I were her, I would have been like, really? I still have to do this on the show? I've been on the show for like seven fucking seasons and you're still making me do this shit? Yeah, well, I don't know. It's I, th- I think you're right about that because – you know, that she is in this episode at all, uh, while, yeah, Sheldon or Jim Parsons gets to hang out via video for 80% of it. It's, I'm, I'm just totally, this is me just wanting to be a drama hog, imagining backstage fights about, you know, who got to leave when and who got to shoot where. And, uh, but, you know, ultimately it's just trying to make a very, very blech episode more interesting. <laughs> Yeah, so that was that was all my thoughts. We can totally move on now. Yeah, I guess let's. Oh, actually, I I didn't even notice this in the um, summary here. I'm not going to go through all of these, uh, but they do break down the extended plot by individual what if scenarios. So, uh, and they do in fact have Howard's Howard's psycho reality because there's no way around that connection. So, let um yeah. Like like I said, I, I usually do like to to dwell on these more and feel like we're really getting our money's worth. But nope, nope, ready to move on. Didn't like it. Didn't like it at all. Real happy to be done with it. Uh, Matt, I went through it. And yeah, Kyle, I uh, started a little bit to think of the specific thing I wanted to recommend this, this week. But then I, I did get to it right before the episode and I'm ready. But do you want to go first or shall I? You can go ahead, my man. Uh, all right, so I've been bouncing around, just um, kind of not having too much jump out at me. Zelda and Diablo, I'm still playing, and they're both fine. Uh, I think I think I just don't like open world games that much. So these two games I like are 
open world and there's no going back and that's life i guess uh but something that um jumped back into my brain i'm surprised it hasn't stuck with me every moment since because it made a very strong impression when i watched it a few nights ago was after years of putting it off i have finally seen swiss army man and um i was very concerned and have you seen this movie kyle Oh yeah, it's, it's why I was excited about everything everywhere all at once, and and you know was one of the people who got to see it pre hype because I was one of, I was like oh yeah people who made Swiss Army Man they're they're usually that seems like I will definitely give them another shot. I remember watching that movie and being like whatever they make next I'm definitely gonna give it a shot. Well, I hadn't seen it until yeah just the other night, but I also remember feeling like kind of cautious when it came out because I remember people talking about it and there seemed to be a bit of a divide between is this like a interesting fun fantasy bizarre movie or is this just some sort of joke being played on moviegoers and uh now that i've seen it i'm kind of mad that that was even a question yeah, because it's obviously a very earnest film. Yeah, no, it's great. It's and to talk about the the premise really briefly, it's made very obvious from the the, the ads is a man, a castaway, played by Paul Dano, is is stranded, and it's it's not clear why. Uh, he's he's entirely alone, but he comes upon the the corpse of Daniel Radcliffe. Uh, he's he's besuited, but he is cold and blue. He's washed up on the shore. Paul Dano. And not to be, I mean, oh, this is this probably goes without saying, but just to be clear, not the actor Daniel Radcliffe, just a corpse played by Daniel Radcliffe. Yes, uh, and same thing with Paul Dano. Uh, I think his his character's name is Hank, but I don't know. Yeah, Could that be... was probably dumb that I felt the need to point that out. But I just well, I mean, with the kind of movie that we're talking here, not necessarily. You know, we could be breaching the fourth wall and whatnot. And in some cases, we do, but not so much in this particular instance. So anyway, yeah. And and Paul Dano was like both initially hopeful and then crushed when he realizes, oh, he's just got a corpse there. And then the corpse starts making some noises and starts a rattling. And it's like, uh uh-oh, farts are coming out of the corpse. That's kind of gross, but funny, right? Oh, but there's more farts, and more, and more, and wait a second. He's floating on the water and propelling himself with farts, and I'm going to use him as a jet ski. And this is the first of many adventures that occur where bodily functions save Paul Dano's life in disgusting and uh, uh, fun ways. And I can absolutely see how, like, someone who is very serious who's like never really watched a movie before sees that and is like nope i'm out nope nope but um if you can accept the fact that yes paul dano is is riding daniel radcliffe like a jet ski as he's spraying farts at such a rate uh that they're crossing the the choppy waters into a new life uh this movie rules uh it's uh yeah there there's you know, unlike the the episode we watched today that does this like, oh, what would life without Sheldon? And that they, has zero emotional impact on anyone. This, uh, I think, is impressive in that surface level, it's so many stupid and weird and gross things are happening. But, like, the bond between the characters is, like, 
fundamentally about like whether and when and how to make emotional connections and like to take risks with people and to be vulnerable and all those things. Uh, it's just that like, as all of this is happening, Paul Dano is surviving on water that he is pumping like a well from Daniel Radcliffe's dead throat. Uh, and it's, it's a delight and, uh, there is more to it, but I, I don't want to risk uh, spoiling anything for anyone who's never seen it because, uh, Aside from the farts and the jet ski stuff, I really didn't know anything about it, and so I don't want to reel much more than that, other than to say that, yeah, uh, unless you see me as somebody who just likes recommending bizarre movies to, to stymie and befuddle people, uh, I, I do indeed uh, heartily recommend Swiss Army Man. And yes, it is by the Daniels, who also did uh, everything everywhere all at once. And um, watching these movies in the opposite order they were released, I'm like, fun how this turned out. Fun that these guys went on to <laughs> to such. Because uh, I guess this movie like Oscar, was, was, yeah, I guess Oscar multiple Oscar award winning writer directors, the Danielses. Yes, yeah, just I- incredible explosion of stardom. Um, and you know, like this movie was critically well received. It's also just like I said, it's it seems to have freaked some nerds out so what are you gonna do yeah i know the i bet i know the exact scene where everybody turns on this movie but it's you know I think oh it's an important uh, scene I, in the movie. I think you're right and yes <laughs> uh but anyway no great recommendation uh kyle what are you feeling this time around I got I I'm just going to I'm going to give you I I have a real recommend but I'll start with I saw Barbie uh I haven't done the full bar I'm well I'm never going the full Barbenheimer experience I think requires you to do both in the same night and I'm just don't have that kind of time in a single setting but I did see Barbie and I'm going okay. back to see Oppenheimer tonight I cannot report on Oppenheimer yet Barbie's the shit I'm glad to hear it so I I goofed up a friend and I were going to go try to see it at an early screening thursday night at our local indie theater but of course it was you know sold out days ahead of time because yeah they were trying to get in on the barbenheimer here as well but uh kyle please tell me the thing uh, about the thing i'm jealous of while 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 sparing my precious little ears of I any was, reveals the most interesting thing about it is that it, it is very much a girl movie and i and i'm and i don't mean that like guys can't because it's just generally funny and well written and and uh and contains a lot of nods to, you know, major cinematic masterpieces of the past. So it's definitely, like, it's interesting for everyone. But what I mean by a girl movie, I mean, it's clearly, it, it, it was the, usually when I am in a movie with a woman, I have the experience at the end where if it's a profound movie, I am in tears because something about the movie has, like, reminded me of my relationship with my father or something. And, you know, or, like you know, my, my own mortality. And so I feel, or my place in society. And so I feel like deeply, deeply emotionally wounded and I'm still processing and a little teary. And then I turn over to like, you know, uh, uh, my partner who is not a, again, not like a Philistine or anything, just the movie isn't speaking to anything from their personal experience. And so they, they're not having that emotional reaction. And this was the, like the first time in living memory where that experience has just been blatantly flipped on its head, where I walked out being like, oh. ah, pretty nice, pretty fun. And then my partner was like, 
I just I'm not gonna be ready to talk about anything for like 20 minutes or 30. <laughs> you're, you're gonna have to give me a while to sit with that, which was interesting uh, yeah. to see it happen in reverse. Also, so my actual recommendations this week are are a are a two pack that are linked thematically, sort of. And I guess the main thematic link is great media about weird small towns, sort of obviously inspired by the works of Stephen King. um, And so it's weird that actually it's probably not that weird that there would be multiple things that could fit into that pattern. But um, he's got such a broad universe. What couldn't fit into it anymore? So the first is I started playing Alan Wake Remastered which is so Alan Wake was a game. I don't even know what, if it originally came out for the PS2 or the PS3. I, I know the name and I know it's been out and I couldn't tell you a thing about it. So well, you should, you might want to try it, uh, particularly the re because it's, uh, well, I don't know. I, I don't have no idea if you would like it, but it's definitely an interesting game. So Alan Wake was a ge- that I had been hearing about for years. Cause it was quite popular when it came out, but it, uh, yeah, I think it, it was just mostly, um, it's like one of those classics that because it didn't immediately become a franchise just sort of was like, hey, remember that one game? Um, oh, yeah. More Maybe specific- a sleeper hit or whatever. Yeah. Alan Wake was made by the studio who made, uh, I think they're called Remedy. And the the original, ga- the first two games I think that they made were Max Payne 1 and 2, which I remember oh. if you've never played those games, like they are ostensibly just like, like early PS1 gunfighter games where you're just a hard-boiled cop just shooting a bunch of, you know, bad guys in third-person hallways with low-fidelity 3D graphics and bad bullet time. And so that's the, like, gameplay. But there's also, like, this whole weird subtext of it being, like, a a psycho-noir story told in, like, acid comic book flashbacks with... uh you know, a lot of references to like weird TV and radio and movie stuff. And, you know, you're never sure how much of this is like, I mean, most of it appears to be actually happening, but at least some of it is being colored by the fact that the main character is, is having a a mental breakdown driven by the loss of his family. And so in that sense, it was a really novel game. And I played both of the first two way after they were originally released and liked them a lot. And so this was the next game that that studio made after that. And it is the story of a writer who is struggling with writer's block. And so he and his wife go to a small town. I can't remember the name of it. It's like something Night Falls or something. No, Night Falls is the name of the fictional TV show that they watch within. It's Twin Springs, whatever. They go to this small hamlet of a town Uh, in the middle of nowhere, you know, so that he can, you know, recuperate in a cabin in the woods and get over his writer's block and write his next novel. But almost immediately after getting there, shit starts going wrong. There's weird shadow monsters, and he's getting bad dreams, and all of a sudden, he, like, wakes up in the middle of the night, and he's no longer at the cabin. He's been in a car crash, and it's a week later, and his wife has vanished and not only has she vanished but when he says to the police why can't we just look in the cabin they say well that cabin ha- that cabin was destroyed in a in an in a natural disaster 30 years ago there is no more cabin where you're describing i don't know where you were staying mr wake are you sure you're not losing your mind so the whole thing has a heavy vibe of like um 
you know, it's basically, yeah, a Stephen King story meets a Twin Peaks story. A uh, lot of Twin Peaks references. Um, where you're you just, start just chomping down pills and blowing people away after this. Is that what happens? No, no. You do fight bad guys, but the bad guys are all clearly like there is some shadowy primal force that has awakened in the town that feeds off. I like. I don't think I'm telling you anything that's a spoiler because this is one of those games that very. It's like doing again. It's doing like the shining thing where it's like you get a sense for what's wrong, but what's like it's never going to like just explicitly explain the plot to you. So mm-hmm. as best I can tell, there's like a shadowy force that feeds off creativity, and by entering the town, Alan Wake's creative genius has revitalized it and awakened it. And it has escaped and is possessing random people and driving them to kill. But uh, it is also making them, you know, into semi-immortal zombies. So the actual gameplay, yes, is you have a flashlight in one hand and a gun in the other hand. And so everything that you're fighting, you first have to shine a light on it enough to erase all the shadows, making it vulnerable. So you're being attacked by like crazy zombie, like crazy zombie rednecks with like axes and baseball bats. And you have to shine the light in their eyes, driving the darkness away enough to make them mortal. And then yes, you, you shoot them in the head, uh, which is a pretty, it's a pretty, it's a little weird, but it's a pretty satisfying core gameplay loop. A little wonky, definitely not adequately, adequately explained in any of the tutorials, but the more you play, the more you get a sense of it. And of course there's also, Again, in a game that can't help but cite its references at one point, he's like, remember those Stephen King stories where random objects come alive and try to kill you? And around that time, just random items start being possessed by shadows. And yeah, they will just fly out of the dark at you. So you have to like shine your flashlight on like various like railroad ties and things like that to keep from being bludgeoned to death by them. And so, yeah, it's basically it's a it's a mix. But it's a very atmospheric game uh, told well. I'm not sure that like combat wise it's that innovative but it does a good job it's basically i like it because it's a it does a good job of capturing the tone of something that uh, other video games i don't think particularly are interested in capturing which is this sort of like yeah again sort of like sort of more twin peaks style uh exploration exploring a weird town and usually you and the other one of the things i like about it is instead of having levels it's split into chapters and each chapter, I think, is perfectly structured as, like, um, a segment of gameplay. Meaning, if you are going to play this game, I recommend you play it a chapter a night, put it down, and then come back the next day. Because I think if you played two chapters, it would get too repetitive. Um, mm. But if you play it a chapter a night, then when you come back the next night ready for more, it's pretty satisfying. And each chapter starts, you're introduced to a new location in the daytime. You sort of walk around it and be like, well, this isn't that spooky. And then you go to, you know, you you have to come back at night for some reason. And now everything's different and haunted and weird. So that was really good. My other uh, thematically linked but very tonally different recommendation is going to be JoJo's Bizarre Adventures 4. Diamond is Unbreakable. Ooh. So I think before, Nick, you and I had had a conversation uh, you had been the one who had recommended JoJo to me and to the audience before, but you have always said you like the first two volumes, and then you get to three, which is ironically many people's favorite. Yes, and and you're like, nah, I I don't like it as much anymore. It's just sort of ra- it's just sort of random anime battles at this point. It's just not as fun for me anymore. I I um, have a hard time keeping steam with that one, and so I'm still not sure I've even. Well, no, I think. 
I'm partway through four is where I last left off. So I did get through the three and I enjoyed it more and more recently, but yeah. Yeah, so I get that. I think that it's basically like of all of of all of the volumes that I've read so far is the one that is most classically like an anime adventure story or like an action movie story, like right down to the we're going on a road trip, you know, and every step of our journey is, you know, and there's a final boss at the end of the road trip and we just have to defeat all of his minions along the way. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so I didn't. It took me forever, and I should say I'm not watching the show. I'm reading the manga because when I get bogged down with something, sometimes I can't stand to watch the episodes. But reading it, I can just flip through it at my own pace and get through it. And I was curious about what happened next, even though I wasn't like particularly feeling a per- individual chapter of it. Um, but then I got to Diamonds Unbreakable, and that shit is fantastic. It is absolutely my jam because it transits. So if if three is like there's this evil, you know, final boss vampire lord and we have to defeat him to save the world before he conquers everything. Four is there's a weird little town with a lot of weird people in it. And some of them have psychic powers and some of them are good and some of them are evil. And our main class is just a bunch of teenage boys trying to, you know, make it through high school while uncovering the, the hair there is. Yeah. It's 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 the exact same like powers like it's 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 like a bunch of kids with it's people with psychic powers but instead of being like my psychic powers must battle your psychic powers in a battle for for supremacy it's like hey have you heard there's a weird like Italian restaurant in the corner and if you eat there the chef will use his psychic powers to make you vomit up all of the negative energy that you have thus healing your body instantly uh and it's like Ah, that is, so it's a bunch of, uh, again, it is, it is literally, it's, this is almost, uh, this is a bad, I feel bad using this analogy because it makes it sound less awesome than it really is, but it's sort of, in a sense, it's Stranger Things, the anime, because it's just like, you know, or Eerie Indiana, the anime, if you prefer that. I, I, I think to, to, to get a little of the stink off the Stranger Things Association, I, I, it is not high on nostalgia in any way. That well, like you know, it does take place in the past, but they're not like check it out, crazy '90s culture. Wow, wow. No, I think the main the main reason I think that, and again, this was because my original pitch was like small towns inspired by Stephen King. I think in addition to all of the normal, re- there are a shocking number of references. Well, I don't. It feels like there are a lot of references to Stephen King in this one. I could be imagining them, but. Uh, or it could just, you know, it could just be that, like, some of the stuff that Stephen King writes about is is ubiquitous itself. But basically, a lot of Stephen King stories are, like, kids in a small town where, like, a lot of people go missing and they uncover some weird mystery or, like, an old spooky house. And there's just, like, it is a lot of that vibe. It's, like, at least it's, like, here's a town. It seems normal on the surface, but there's a shadowy underbelly. There's been, you know, a serial murderer has been, you know, wreaking havoc here and making people disappear for decades. There's, you know, the spooky old haunted house that's haunted. There's a lot of the stands seem to manifest, or plot lines literally seem to manifest, like, plot elements that I recall from Stephen King movies and short stories. Like, um, you know, one dude has the ability to make you know, his stand is a bunch of toy soldiers that come to a life mm. and attack someone, which is like definitely the plot of one of the episodes of, uh, of nightmares and dreamscapes. And, you know, another one is about a girl who gets super into a boy. So she sort of kidnaps him and, you know, semi tortures him to 
to get him to do what she wants. Oh, and then of course there's the uh, there's the uh, self insert manga author obsessive who is so obsessed with writing the perfect manga that he's willing to like vivisect real people for their memories to produce it. And then he sort of comes around. He turns out to not be a creep, which is another thing I like about it. In part three, Stardust Crusaders, it was basically like everyone is either a good guy or a bad guy and most of them are mm. bad guys in this it's one v- it's very clearly identified like down to specific like traits but yes sorry yeah it's like most of them are like it's like i like cartoonishly like you know i killed my first person with my stand when i was eight years old or i just randomly enjoy bathing in yeah. baby's blood nothing gets the skin clean like fresh baby's blood which i can I, supply plenty of with my stand i've got a gun that doesn't matter what direction i point it it'll shoot you in the back yes and particularly that yeah so and this is more like i'm just a regular person who discovered that i have weird godlike powers and i don't know what to do with that inf- i'm still figuring out what to do with that information myself to be honest and sometimes i use it selfishly and sometimes i come to my senses at the end of using it selfishly and i'm like ah you know i want to uh i maybe i don't want to be so selfish with my powers like like one of my favorite arcs that i've gotten to so far and i'm not all the way through it yet is there's like just this dumb little kid who uh i mean he's not a, he's the same age as the other characters but he's he's portrayed as being slightly uh more simple than the other characters and he has a stand that allows him to basically find like little like basically any little thing that uh is lying around he can send thousands of little like worker ants to find it and so when they first meet him he's just collecting all of the loose change in town and they're like this is awesome let's see if we can use this power to uh figure out other ways to make money so the entire chapter is just like you know a bunch of teenagers figuring out how to use their psychic powers to just get a little more spending not even make millions just make you know put together like 50 or 60 bucks between them and then they start arguing about whether like how to share it and what's a fair split between the three of them and that is like relatable shit and funny shit and i like it and then you know you have a random one where there's a there's a rat that has developed psychic powers and they have to track it down and it turns into basically like a sniper battle between these two a like this grown-ass man and his teen sidekick and this rat that can snipe at them with its psychic energy (laughs) and it is just it is exactly like i said what you want from something called jojo's bizarre adventure it is wacky bizarre crazy stories that are nonetheless compelling and interesting you also just reminded me of something that i thought of and i don't think we talked about this but maybe i'm wrong when i was playing final fantasy 8 is that um similar to stands every single monster in that game every single soldier every single thing you fight has magic and might have a deity inside of them. And that includes big, scary, important people. But, like, in that world, you can come across a squirrel, and there's a chance that it can kill you with a fireball. And I just think, like, what a horrifying, like, terrible thing. And, like, in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, you know, there are at least some limits to who can get a stand and why. But, yeah, just, like, thinking of this terrifying environment where like anything around you could be deadly and full of ancient terrible power and then everyone treats it like it's just totally normal yeah yeah 
Anywho, um, man, with all the stuff you described out of part four, I feel like I'm a lot closer to finishing it than I realized and should probably just get on that. So, <laughs> Yeah, it is like, I like it. I mean, I like how like just another sliding, like the main character, his powers are very similar to the powers of the last main character. Except, very, very. <laughs> except with the additional caveat that instead of like, instead of only using it to beat people up, his, 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 the twist on his power is that he can use them to fix people. And I think that's cute and nice. It is, yeah. Well, and, you know, sometimes... I mean, sometimes just... he uses it for horrifying purposes. But, yeah, it's mostly cute and nice. Well, yeah, I mean, right out the gate, there's uh, a horrifying purpose. Assuming it follows the same path as the manga, you know, there's, like, some low-level stand-having scum in, like, the first or second episode that, yeah, JoJo, the, the current, what turns into a part rock, but, like, a sentient, you're gonna just be here in a rock and experience for this for the rest of eternity kind of thing. Hey, that guy was a serial child murderer. Oh, I forgot he was a child murderer. Yeah, yes. I guess. Well, but still, a rock forever man, JoJo. <laughs> I assume that if, I always assume in cases like that that eventually your mind just snaps and it's no longer really torture at that point because you forget you're alive. Uh, I could be wrong about that, in which case you're right. It's definitely horrifying. But oh, I, uh, you know, I I think you're right, not because of any sort of like scientific basis, but just because that's what you imagine would happen to you. Well, no, because like I think media. There's like I've always kind of liked and been horrified by the idea of someone who is just like. I don't know, run out of things to think and gone feral or whatever, <laughs> just like, like their body, like, or I mean, not their body, but their brain, you know, whether they, they thought the wrong thoughts or just short circuited or whatever it could be happened, whatever it could have happened. Yeah. That they just inexplicably go insane. I don't know. It, yeah. I'm not, never thought it might happen to me, but you know, unless I myself were forced to, you know, just sit and meditate knowing that there would be nothing to interrupt my thoughts or actions or anything for at least the next, like, three hours, then who knows what kind of monster I'd become, but... Yeah, that's like, um, you know, I finally watched... I really don't like this show, and I've... I've but, you know, at certain points there are cultural touchstones, so I'm just curious about it. I finally watched, like, this famous episode of Black Mirror where the premise is just, like, people's personalities can be reliably... Uh, reproduced and as simulated avatars in digital space. And so one of the uses of this is, uh, you know, make them personal assistants or whatever. Well, you see a couple of different uses of it. But basically, one of the ways in which they train these people is not by programming them to be more fidel, because they basically have the full personalities, including free will, of the people they're copies of. So in order to get them to obey, they will just turn up the time dilation inside the simulation so it's like if you don't do what i say i'm just going to leave you here and it's going to feel like you're sitting here in a white room with nothing to do for six months is this specifically part of the christmas special or is this also okay yeah the way you're describing it as like i i just happened to be reading about this specific episode on wikipedia recently because i remember it being particularly haunting yeah it's fucked up it's a fucked up thing it's uh, like it's presented as a little fucked up in the episode at first like they're like 
this is obviously not a good thing to do and it would be fucked up if we did this but then at the end there's this guy who again yes he technically accidentally led he killed someone and by killing that person it inadvertently left led to the death of a of a small child and instead of getting the guy to confess they reproduce a simulation of him and trick the simulation into confessing but then at the end of the episode the punchline is that after they've gotten the simulation to confess, they turn on a bunch of Christmas music really loud inside the simulation, and then they leave the simulation running at a rate of 1,000 years per minute. So for every minute that passes in the real world, a 1,000 years passes in the simulation. One of the cops even jokes, like, how's that for a fair punishment? And it's like, obviously it's not. Obviously that is, like, like A, it's blatantly, un- I mean... It's an AI, so it doesn't have... But I mean, like, if you could do that to a real person, that would be obviously uh, cruel and unusual punishment. And it is hard to imagine any crime that a person could commit that would be, like, justifiable, like, for that for that kind of unbounded punishment. So I was like, I don't think it's funny, which is how I am often am left at Black Mirror. They're like, you're supposed to be horrified, but you're also supposed to think it's kind of funny. And it's like, I never think it's funny. I always oh. just think it's kind of awful and, and not good. Well, I think you're you're mostly right. But that particular episode, that did not come across to me as a, this is a silly, ultimately just deserved punishment. I too was like, Jesus Christ, what a horrifying existence. Oh my God. You know, like, uh, you know, apparently enough so that I forgot that there was what, like, child murder or what involved i just remembered yeah like the 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 infinite inside of your own mind hermitage punishment um and uh yeah uh spooky don't love it don't love it um yeah also i don't know maybe i should try you know i was about to say maybe i should try some of the new episodes of that show but also i saw some youtube video about how it is now becoming like a almost like self-parodying metacritical thing where it's like, oh, the dangers of Netflix, the platform we're on. Can you believe the extent to which we're going to get like intense about this thing that we can't actually criticize? And so mixed feelings. <sighs> I'm sad to hear that. Like, so what, why, what has been your general avoidance of it? Because I think it's had more lows than highs, but I don't know. I'm someone who I was an early adopter, I guess. Well, first, I think it's it's it might just be irrational, right? I think it, the show just gave me a bad vibe, and it's one of those things where when something gives me a bad vibe, and everybody else tries to tell me no, it's actually really deep and interesting. Mm, my yeah. knee jerk reaction. Yeah, I mean, I actually I like Ted Lasso, although I definitely think it's overhyped. So I will never like, watch it because of this phenomenon you're describing. <laughs> right, but it's like it's like no, I don't need to. It's like the more you tell me I'm supposed to find it profound and moving, the less likely I am to be interested in it. Although it does occasionally, every now and then I am annoyed because there are occasion, not usually with TV shows, but every now and then I'll watch a movie that I've been hearing was a masterpiece for like ten years, and I finally watch it. And I'm like, well, fuck, this is actually pretty good. Uh, but, um, <laughs> Why did I hold out? Oh, my exactly. life could have been enriched so much sooner. <laughs> I call that one the Blade Runner because the first time I watched that movie, I was like, "God damn it! It is a paradigm shifting classic that holds up thirty years later." Fuck me. But anyway, but no. With I think like 
because when I first decided I was never going to watch it, it was very early on in the run of Black Mirror. So I tried watching the first couple episodes and there it was always just like the characters reacting in ways that I either felt were like not like proportionate to the situation or mm. else like not actually like indicative of what was supposed to be the core premise of the show, which is the way technology like shapes our life. Like, and, and to be fair, I think they've gotten better about like one of first off, uh, the show has delved farther into like more speculative far future fiction. So the farther out that they go talking about like weird, not existing yet technology, I think the better the show is just because the weird stuff that like hasn't existed yet just makes for better just general sci-fi stories. Yeah. But but then like whenever they do a like can you imagine if someone on what so had this reaction to social media it's either like no my immediate reaction is almost always like no one uses social media like that. Yeah. That is not how social media works and What if you just... could marry your phone? Yeah, it's it's like it's very much it feels like Internet, the boomer horror show is my main critique of Black Mirror. It's like these are things that like only old people could find terrifying about the Internet, not the sort of things that I actually find terrifying about the Internet. And famously, I think I've said this before, maybe even on this podcast, but the very first episode, which many people will tell you to skip because they really do not want the show famously starts off with an episode that is kind of rough and not indicative of the vibe the show tries to go for in later seasons and episodes. Uh-huh. But I think the first episode is fine. My main complaint with it is that it is way like it is obviously a farcical comedy of an episode and it just takes itself way too seriously. So, oh, yeah. That is such a confusing thing for me when I first saw it. And so also, Kyle, from what I understand, uh, that episode is like generally very well received, which kind of blows my mind because this. Yeah, I was like, oh, really? Because I, I always, whenever I, I stumble in the Black Mirror discourse, people are always just like, just skip the first episode. Well, that's how I feel too. So maybe you're just reading better, more accurate stuff than I am. Because yeah, I was like, if you get past this first insane episode, yeah, which feels like a joke premise that. And it's it is confusing because it's the the tone of the episode itself is very serious, but like I couldn't tell like whether I was supposed to be taking it seriously or the seriousness was part of the joke. Well, I'll just let's just so without the, where, the pig fucking yeah the 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 fundamental moral quandary in the episode is would you fuck a pig on television to save a human being's life? If that was the only way, and I mean it does sort of. I, it does sort of, I guess, have its cake and eat it too, where it turns out that probably no one was in danger. So that's annoying. But the but the fundamental question is, uh, would you fuck a pig on television uh, if it meant that like a human being would not be executed? And the answer to that is obviously yes. It's fine. That's that's like an easy one. That's like the most annoying thing about that episode is how agonized everyone is about it and the political ramifications of a politician doing it. I well, personally I, think that, that any it's politician... It's like the prime minister, I think, of, of Britain or something. Yeah, that's... and you know what? I'm just going to come right out and say it. I think that any 
politician that can't get himself reelected on the basis of I fucked a pig to save one of your filthy lives doesn't deserve to be in politics. That's just such an easy slam dunk of a thing. If it were me and I were running for office, I would go, you want to know how much I care about every one of you? Watch this. I'm going to down six shots of vodka. I'm going to come in this pig. And then I fully expect you all to come to the polls and support me because I am doing this for you, America. If National Treasure were a better movie, it would have been revealed that on there was another page to the the Declaration of Independence or to the Constitution, whichever document he stole, that had what you're describing as some of the requirements to become president in that, <laughs> you know, that gets back into the official constitutional canon and everyone's like, well, the founders... <laughs> Their rituals were not like our own, but that's why we must cherish them. And, you know, like you said, if, if you're willing to fuck a pig to lead the nation, yeah, that's that's commitment. And if, yeah, if that were enshrined... You know what it is? It's, it's the premise of a South Park episode. It's the yeah, premise of a South Park a episode basically it. taken as, like, as seriously as possible. And it's like, no, 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 this is not actually a serious thing. This is a South Park episode. Yeah, it, you're asking it's like, me to take it too seriously. Like if they have a Black Mirror episode, it's like, what if we did have to decide between a giant douche or a giant turd ruling over us? It's like, well, <laughs> I'm not sure we're going to have to worry about that one Black Mirror. Uh, right. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe there will be a rash of pig fucking threats coming up. But, <sighs> Well, you know, I, I feel like I've gone full circle on this because... I wasn't, like, mad about having to record today. I was still looking forward to it, but I was mad about the episode. But that, at the end of it, we are kind of, like, at some point, like, hey, let's just get down to brass tacks here. We're talking about pig fucking and the realistic uh, and and ethical concerns of it, and I'm glad that it brought us here, at least. All right? You know, whether the episode brought us here or this is just where we naturally would have gone anyway, who's to say? But... Yeah, no, I think it's absolutely, um, I, as I was joking, uh, as I was joking with one of my partners, uh, I was like, I was like, you know, men just don't know how to be friends without having some other excuse to congregate socially. It's like, and I am not a football person. So when I talk to my friend, we do it in the form of making a podcast. I don't know what to tell you. Well, that's something that I too have, uh, it's, it's shifted how I feel about things like Dungeons and Dragons is like, oh, this is just a way for nerds to hang out in a structured environment. That's right. like, these are people that just want to spend time to each other and could really use some rules. And that's not even, I mean, I feel like, like the, the, I mean, I really feel like this is just a guy thing more than a girl thing. It, well, cause women, it's like, so pretty fucked up thing them. to say about D and D Kyle. No, no. I mean, I just, women can, like, if they just want to get together and like, you know, drink and hang out and talk about their feelings, that's socially acceptable. It's like guys, we're just not socialized to do that. It has to, we have to be like, like, again, I think the classic example is like, we can all go out to a bar, but we're going to be, there's going to be a sports game on the TV. And that's like the prerequisite for us to go out to a bar and you know if someone just happens to want to talk about how their marriage is falling apart while the chiefs are playing uh playing the steelers well you know so be it that's uh that's what we're really here for but no we also have to be watching the game maybe that's maybe that was why i had such a rough time is like uh 
an awkward teen and young adult was not really understanding that the, the game is the basis for social lubricant and being like, I don't give a shit about this football stuff. Just tell me some bad stuff that happened in your life, man. Come on. Yeah. We're in line for ice cream. Where else are we going to talk about it? Just let's belt it out, buddy. That's true. I think one of our first like deep, heavy conversations happened in like a pizza shop where we, while we were waiting for an improv show to start. Oh, yeah. that's. I feel like a lot of... Well heavy maybe not deep conversations happen in those exact circumstances 